Hi, I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-Minute Parenting series of books. Welcome to the 15-Minute Parenting Podcast, where each episode is 15 minutes long and deals with a common parenting issue using therapeutic play as a solution. Let's get going. In an earlier episode of this podcast, I referenced the three stages of developmental play and a number of you got in touch with me um, seeking to find out more about these stages. And I thought this was a great way of doing that and answering everybody was to address it in a dedicated podcast. This is about, you know, better understanding not only what our children are playing, but how they're playing and why, and why does it matter that they play in particular ways at particular ages. This is also um, a way when we understand those stages better, you know, of understanding, did our children get enough of each of these stages? Might there be gaps in any of those stages and might those gaps be underpinning some behavioral challenges that you're seeing now? I deal with this in great detail in chapter five of my first book, 15 minute parenting zero to seven years in a chapter about play as a language for children and anyone who's ever heard me speak or listened to this podcast before knows that that is a mantra that I always hold in mind. I believe that play is the most important aspect of our children's childhood. I believe it's how they learn about themselves, about others and about the world outside of and around them. I believe it is through play that they process and make sense of their experiences, whatever happens in their day, the highs, the lows, the successes, the disappointments, they work it out through their play. And it is actually through play that they're integrating the new learning from their day. What have I learned by that working out or not working out? It's how they develop understanding of themselves, of others, Why is it people do and say the things they do? Why do things work out or not? It's how they draw conclusions and it's how they work out resolutions. It's through play that they're making all of those connections and developing important attachment relationships with the people in their lives, even outside of us, be that with their peers, their teachers, other people in their lives, because play Play in itself is actually enabling them to develop an emotional vocabulary and to learn the art of emotional self-regulation. Now, the art of emotional self-regulation is something maybe we all could do with topping up from time to time. Um, But for children, it definitely takes them until they are right through these three stages of play before they they can self-regulate their emotions. Before that, and I mean, this is really before the age of seven, they're not self-regulating. They are co-regulating their emotional arousal in response to us and the other important adults in their lives. That's how they work out. Is it too much, too little? I'm getting heightened. How do I calm down? You know, it's they take their cues and leads from us. But if we want to gain insight into and better understand basically our children and the world through their eyes, we have to learn their language. We have to deepen our understanding and awareness of play. And more than that, we have to learn how to play at their developmental level. So without further ado, let me talk you through what it is I mean by this. There are three stages of developmental play that take our children from infancy up to seven years old. Now, 
when I talk about age, as always, I really am speaking about it in terms of developmental age rather than chronological, because it's not like a child wakes up on their seventh birthday and it's like, OK, I've nailed it. I can now self-regulate. No two children are the same. And you'll notice this even within your own families. You might have one child. And as you're listening, you're going to nod and go, oh, yeah, that child definitely did all of that and lots of it. And I can see that they're emotionally quite mature for for their age and they're able to work things out and you might have another child and you're going no I don't think they did a lot of that stage two play might that explain why they're a bit of a worrier why they're not really able to do things for themselves why we're seeing these emotional outbursts still even though they're eight and a half or nine years old and what can I now do to go back and top up that gap in their play so I'm going to talk you through them now in a little bit more detail and I do ask that as you listen you hold each child in mind and think how did this go with this child in my family stage one takes a child from infancy right up to you know three and a half for some children four years old I really don't worry about six months either side of these what's more important is that they do it and that they do it well than you know did they do it on time but this is about um, sensory play this is about messy play it's also called embodiment play because it's all about the physical body and the physical world but Basically, you should know by looking at your child at this age what they've been playing. It will be all over them and likely all over your house too. So this is, you know, sand, water, bubbles, Play-Doh, finger painting, music, dancing, clapping, rhythm, all of that type of play. And I know as I'm talking about this, some of you will be breaking out in a sweat going, oh, no, no, I don't want any of that mess in my house. I hated that stage of play. But actually, it's really, really important that we invite our children's mess into our homes and into our worlds because, you know, symbolically, we're saying, hey, give it to me, kid. I can contain and manage and receive your the mess that you bring with you. And in doing so, we're letting them know, actually, I can also help you to organize and manage and I can receive that internal chaos and mess you might be grappling with and struggling to handle on your own. So if it is something that you really don't like or that you struggle with, there are ways that you can do sensory messy play in a contained way. For example, you could do some finger painting and artwork, but before you start, take time using, say, an, a roll of art paper or simply a roll of wallpaper lining is what I use myself. Cover the table you're using. It could be your kitchen table, a coffee table, or maybe you have a little child-sized table um, that your child plays at, but cover the entire table with paper, sellotape it underneath. You might want to draw shapes on it that they paint in or simply give them some paper plates with the paint poured onto it. Let them get messy, use their fingers, use brushes, use sponges, they paint, they paint all over the covered table and at the end you simply unwrap the table, roll it all up and put it out in the bin and it is contained. You can also do something like sensory bowls. So a wet sensory bowl is where you put in some tepid water, you know, not hot, not cold, just somewhere in the middle. A squirt of washing up liquid. I often add a teaspoon of cinnamon, ginger, curry powder, something like that. Not all of them, just one. And I might add a handful of, you know, water friendly glitter. I think it's often called diamond glitter. But also I appreciate that as soon as you open a tub of glitter in your house, it lives on every surface for like 26 years so if you don't want to do glitter that is optional here you don't have to but once you hand them the bowl then 
place a big towel underneath it or a drop cloth or simply cut open a bin bag that you can lie underneath it and let them with a whisk or you know just using their hands mix up the water that means the bubbles come up from the washing up liquid they get the smell it's like a whole sensory engagement because they're touching the water they're feeling the bubbles they're seeing the bubbles maybe the glitter if you've put it in and they're smelling that powder that you've sprinkled in as well then you can let them play they can simply wash their toys in the water you could scoop up the bubbles on your hand and scrape them from your hand to their hand they could simply do that themselves over and back hand to hand you could do a hand stack in the water you know put your hand at the bottom their hand on top of yours and you're introducing added physical skin to skin touch into the sensory play you can do a dry version of a sensory bowl and what that means is taking not quite a wash hand basin that would be really big but maybe something like a baking bowl and in it you pour things like uncooked red and green lentils maybe lima beans again the raw uncooked type but if you've got small crawlers in your house be aware that they can be choking hazards and you don't have to put them in you could add in little bits of pasta I like to use the you know the bow tie shaped pasta because it looks like butterflies and fill up the bowl with things like that and then simply have your child you know mix their hands through it feel those different textures you could hide something like a piece of lego in there and they can dig with their hands to find it you could give them two small cups that they plastic cups that they could pour the mixture from one to the other and basically you know the worst thing that happens is it spills out a little bit or they empty it out but you've put down a drop cloth or if it goes on the floor because it's dry you simply sweep it up and it's gone and that's a great way of doing sensory play but in a managed contained way equally you could make play-doh with them i like to make the play-doh because then you're certain of what's in it um because also at this age they are so exploratory that they're putting everything into their mouths so this is a safe way of doing it so make your play-doh and you might add in a couple of drops of you know essential oils maybe lavender or lemon or orange or something that smells quite nice because it deepens um, that sensory piece of the play-doh because they're also getting that smell you might add in a little bit of cocoa powder and make chocolate play-doh and that's you know it's kind of darker brown and it has a strong smell you could put some lavender you know fresh herbs into it you could put slices of lemon into it you can do lots of things with your play-doh to make it even more sensory sometimes I even mix in some dry rice so that there's an added texture in the play-doh as well then just let them play as they would with any play-doh you know I tend to avoid the cutters and shapers because I like them to you know manipulate it with their hands and really deepen that embodiment piece of touch and skin work while they're doing the play-doh lovely way of doing it and then there's music and dancing and look at music at this age putting dry pasta in a Tupperware tube and sealing the lid or dried peas into a Pringles tube and sealing the lid on. Be aware though if you hand your child a Pringles tube do cover the outside so they don't think you're giving them a tube of crisps but just let them bang your pots with plastic ladles. Anything like that is fine and if you have something like you know a food tin that you've taken the lid off and you can blow up a balloon and let the air out so don't tie the knot just blow it up and then let it out stretch the rubber over the top of the tin and secure it in place that's a fine finger drum so you don't have to go out and buy expensive instruments if you have them fantastic but don't feel like you have to do that and that's a great way of doing music Simply put on a song and as I call it, dance the moodies away. Everybody, for the duration of the song, flap your arms, get wild, get wacky and just stomp and clap and sway and spin and do all of that physical movement. This is all lovely stage one sensory embodiment play. 
Then after this, they move into stage two play where we see an increase on story and an increase on narrative in their play. So this is, you know, where they have the two little characters. It could be two dolls, two trains, two dinosaurs, whatever it is. And they have them talk to each other over and back. It's also known as small world play. And this is where they are taking their understanding of the world that they've learned in stage one and they're putting it outside of themselves onto the toys to deepen their understanding and awareness. So they'll often link it to something they experience in their own lives. Maybe, you know, they have one character say to the other, it's time to go to bed. And the other one replies, oh, no, I don't want to go to bed. I need a drink. I'm thirsty. And the first character says, no, no, you can't have a drink. You must go to bed. So they're taking something they experience and they're considering it from two points of view. And this stage of play is really, really important because to consider a situation from two different perspectives at the same time requires me to be developing a capacity for empathy. What is it like from the other person's point of view? That's an essential social skill. I'm not saying they nail empathy at four years old. I'm just saying they begin to deepen and develop their capacity to develop it. They also are working at solutions and critical thinking. This is where, you know, they are taking scenarios that happen in school or around their peers and they're playing them out with the toys to work out maybe exactly what happened to them in school. Maybe when somebody wouldn't include them in a game or wouldn't share with them or maybe in their game when they play it out in their story, they're now coming up with a different solution, what they wished might have happened, what they wished they could do differently, and they're learning from that. This is a wonderful stage of play, and it's really, really important for developing those social skills of critical thinking, solution-focused thinking, problem-solving, empathy, and general civility. This is also a stage, though, that we are most likely to get play wrong with our children because we're most likely to give them a screen-based device to occupy and distract them. And watching Peppa and George play out a situation is simply not the same as me doing it myself and having Peppa and George do it from my point of view. One is happening to me from the screen and one is happening of me with the toys. It's the one that happens of me that I'll draw benefit from. How you're going to do this with your children now, if you're listening and going, gosh, I don't think my child did a lot of that. They're a little bit older than that now. How do I reintroduce this? Think about things like the storytelling dice. You know, you can do Rory story cubes. You can get the storytelling dice in places like Tiger. There are a couple of variations of that around. But basically, they're dice with symbols on each side. You shake them, you roll them out, and however they land, you make up a story using the symbols that are there. You can have your child make up their own story beginning, middle, end, and then you can take a turn um, doing your own story or you can do it that you start they follow you you then add in a cube they add in a cube and so on I like to start my stories with once upon a time because I think it gives permission for anything to happen it doesn't have to be real if it's once upon a time so you're also getting that added benefit of imagination and they're really beginning to stretch things what could happen what might happen and they're bringing in that lovely magical thinking which is a lovely benefit to this stage of play after this, they move into stage three play, which takes them right up to seven years old. This is role play. Now, role play should not be confused with costume dress up. Costume dress up play is lovely. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not developmental role play. Because if I dress up as Elsa from Frozen, then I am Elsa from Frozen and I play out that story that I know. It's not coming of me. Whereas if I dress up in your old hats, 
bags, scarves, shirts, shoes, whatever it is, then I decide what the prop is. I decide who the character is and I decide what the story is. That's where the benefit is to be drawn. So when it comes to this stage of play, think old school dress up. Give them the things that you're not using anymore. Some of your scarves, shirts, jumpers, cardigans, jackets, bags, whatever you have. Just give it to them and let them play because they might take a scarf out of the dress up box, lay it out on the floor and it's no longer a scarf. It's now a magic carpet that me and the teddy sit on and fly away somewhere and have an adventure. It's a picnic blanket that me and the toys sit on and we can play out having lunch together. It could be a scarf that makes me a granny or a grandparent. It could be a bandage that, you know, I wrap up my broken arm in and I play out going to hospital. It could be something I wrap the teddy in and in a blanket and I play out being a parent. Basically, my play decides what the prop is rather than the prop deciding what the play is. Now, bear in mind this third stage is a dramatic stage of play. So I am pushing boundaries. I'm trying out power. I'm wondering if I was in charge and in role. How big and bad could I be? So when you see that they're playing out school and they've the teddies lined up against the wall and in their role as teacher, they're roaring abuse at those teddies. Don't rush down to the school and explore what's going on in here is the teacher roaring at the children because actually when I'm playing out being teacher I'm not being a literal my teacher I'm wondering how big and bold could I be what could I get away with if I was in charge how far could I push this and that's really important for me to try that out because I'm coming up to that age where now you're going to expect me to emotionally self-regulate and I can only do that if I've tried things out if I've pushed it and said oh that was too far and I've learned from it and pulled back when you're playing with your child in role play when you're joining them in that stage of play I mean maybe you're doing your 15 minutes in role play with them Enter their play as a follower, not a leader, and try to resist the urge to correct how they're doing something. This isn't your opportunity to be parenting them, you know, oh, that's not very kind. Why don't you say it a nicer way? Let them do it. And at the end of the play, when maybe it's time to tidy up and sit down for dinner or go and have a bath or time for bed, make sure that you de-roll and you say, well, that was a lot of fun. And now I'm back to being mom or dad and you're back to being child, just so they're, they, they're sure they're no longer the ones in charge as you enter whatever task at hand you have coming up. Because at this stage, that line between fantasy and reality, it's still quite blurry for children. You know, they're still very much immersed in imaginative, magical thinking, and they might need our help just to say, okay, we're done with that now, and this is who we really are. But above all else, have fun with these stages. I'm explaining them to you so you can better understand what has, or moreover, what maybe hasn't happened for your child. Any gaps in these individual stages in and of themselves, depending on how big the gap is or when it happened, it's not like it's going to utterly derail their development. But I like to compare it to walking around with a pebble in your shoe. Yes, you can still walk, but wouldn't it be more comfortable if you stopped and shook out the pebble? Because if you don't and you keep walking on it, eventually you're going to get a blister and the blister is going to cause you problems. So if you have a gap in one of these stages of play, Go back and do some more of it. 
If you've an anxious child and you know they really didn't do a lot of sensory play, go back and do it now. It's really relaxing even to rub lotion into their hands and do a slippery hand stack or some slippery thumb wrestling because they still get the tactile transfer of the lotion in doing that. Use the storytelling dice no matter how old they are. You can stack them up into a tower, continue the story up and down each side so that you're investing in their capacity for prolonged engagement and taking it further and it's more challenging and therefore more engaging for older children. You know, try out roles by saying, I wonder if, and make the role play more, if they're older now, more about Let's role play out of being news reporters and tell this story from someone else's point of view. Let's imagine that we're this person or that person. And that's another way of doing grown-up role play. But these stages of play are crucial for our children developing a capacity for emotional self-regulation. I hope you've enjoyed gaining a little bit more insight into what they look and feel like. And why don't you have a think about how did you play in each of those stages as a child? Might you be carrying some gaps? And where can you benefit from it as well? Enjoy it. Spend 15 minutes doing sensory play, doing story play and doing role play and have a think afterwards about what did it feel like for you and what might it have felt like for your child. As always, thanks for listening. And if there's any other topics you would like me to include, feel free to get in touch on my social media at Joanna Fortune on Instagram, Twitter or, or Facebook. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode useful, subscribe, share with a friend, give us a like, all of which helps people find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to come back next week for a new 15-minute parenting episode or check our archives for previous topics. You can find me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune. And between now and then, have fun.